Last uh, week, Friday before last, Mary and I hosted an old friend from Laidlaw called Jenny Matheson, and um, Jenny and Mary were at the same year at Bible College in Laidlaw, and we had her around for tea, and Jenny also brought her boss with her for tea, who happens to be Roshan Allpress. Now, he's the principal of Laidlaw. And as we were chatting over tea, Roshan, they've been touring around Southland, they've been touring around Otago, they'd come to Dunedin to catch up with old uh, alumni from Laidlaw. And we said, what, what are you discerning in the churches? What are you hearing from the churches around Otago and Southland? And Roshan said the one thing that every church is saying to him is how are we going to replace our aging and retiring ministers? Everywhere he's going, churches around Southland and Otago, and it's not just Presbyterian churches, but all the churches are saying, have you got some personnel that can come and replace our ministers about to retire? How can, we, how can you help? How can Laidlaw help? The reading that... Sam just brought to us from 2 Timothy really speaks into that passing of the baton, passing of the baton of the gospel. And you see Paul speaking to his dear son Timothy and the affection that he speaks with, he speaks about handing over the baton to this young follower coming behind him. Turn with me if you haven't already to 2 Timothy and I'm reading from chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you. So that I may be filled with joy, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. The tenderness with which Paul speaks of Timothy, his beloved son. He remembers his tears. He, he longs to be with him. You can sense the tenderness in the words of a spiritual father wanting to encourage and wanting to speak truth into this young Timothy's life. And it's a bit of a challenge for us, I think. This prayerful discipleship that Paul displays to Timothy speaks directly into our vision, if you like, at Hope Church, to be growing next generation disciples of Jesus who impact the world. Paul speaks directly into that, and it's a real challenge for us, I think, as we listen to Paul's words. John Stott makes reference to his coming to faith as a young man at university, and he was led to faith by an older man, and that older man committed to writing to John Stott every week for seven years and praying for John every day for seven years. That's the sort of commitment that Paul is kind of showing here, but it's the kind of commitment that ensures young disciples are encouraged in the faith. He wrote to him every week for seven years and he prayed for him every day. Who are you praying for? 
Who are you praying for to be growing in the faith of Christ? Paul says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Timothy has been raised with a godly legacy. Paul's already spoken about his grandmother and about his mother, and the, the intergenerational legacy is there to be seen. But he says to, Paul, to, to Timothy, who appears to be something of a timid character, he's wanting to stir up his faith. He's wanting to encourage him in the faith. The fire, it seems, has gone dormant. And Paul is saying, stir it up. Literally rekindle the embers into a blaze for God's. Now, what Paul wants to see ablaze is for the gift that God has given Timothy, which he's received through the laying on of hands. Now, Paul doesn't specifically say what that gift is. But he says he wants that gift that you've received, Timothy, to be rekindled, the flame to come alive again. We know that Timothy was commissioned into church leadership by the elders. That's referenced in the previous letter in 1 Timothy, presumably from his home church in Lystra. We know in this text that Paul laid his hands on Timothy and he received this gift. Paul goes on later in this letter to talk about doing the work of an evangelist. So it may be it's the gift of leadership. It may be it's the gift of evangelism. Paul doesn't specifically say, but he says, stir up that gift, fan into flame, the gift that God has given you. Don't be timid. Don't be fearful. Instead, he says, stir up the gift of the Spirit in you that brings power, love, and self-discipline. Let's unpack those three aspects of the ministry of the Spirit in Timothy's life and think about them for our lives as well. Firstly, the power of God. The power of God is infinite. The power of God is infinite. God speaks this creation into being. God spoke the stars into being, the very first creative act. He said, let there be light. He speaks the stars into being. He speaks our sun into being. Do you know what temperature the sun is at its core? Anybody know that? Any physicists out there, the temperature of the sun? I've done a quick measurement, and apparently it's 15 million degrees Celsius. You get one of those guns, you see, you can get those guns and you point it at the sun. 15 million degrees Celsius. How powerful is the God that we are worshipping this morning? The God who spoke the stars into being. The God who allows only the rulers that he chooses to rule on earth. He disposes of empires as he chooses. The Persian Empire, the Greece Empire, the Roman Empire, only ruling under God's authority and God's power. But it's not that power that I want to reflect on this morning. This morning I want to reflect on the power of God's refining fire, as Paul talks about it. The power of God's refining fire. The psalmist says, For you, God, tested us, you refined us like silver. This week at midweek breakfast, Emma reminded us 
of the silversmith and the role of the silversmith as he's making the silver. And it's this picture that the biblical writers are using as the silversmith, 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 as he boils the silver and it comes to this molten place, what happens? The dross in the silver rises to the surface. The impurities all rise to the surface and the silversmith scrapes off the dross and throws it aside. And then he does it again in the molten process. He heats the silver and again the impurities come to the top. The silversmith skims off the impurities and then he makes the cast and then he makes the, what he's ever making out of silver. He knows it is ready when he can look at the silver and see his reflection in the silver. The impurities have gone and the silversmith looks into his creation and he can see his reflection. That's the picture that God is using in the scriptures. When he says he's refining you like silver, he's removing the impurities so when he looks at you, what does he see? He doesn't see any impurities, he sees a reflection of himself. This is the work of God's power in your life. Peter says the afflictions that you are going through, the afflictions that you are suffering right now, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, and we might say silver, which perishes even though refined by the fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Christ Jesus is revealed. Fan this flame, this gift of God's. For the spirit God gives you does not make you timid, but it gives you power. It gives you the power of God that the impurities might be stripped away, that you might be able to reflect the image of God. The power of God and also the love of God, Paul says. Over the last two weeks, Hope Church has been blessed by the presence of a couple of special people from Brisbane. There are special people that come from Brisbane and their name, names were Toby and Bronwyn. They were on holiday in Auckland. They believed God had instructed them when they were holidaying in, Dunedin to, uh, in Auckland to come down to Dunedin. And so they had no agenda other than to obey God and to come in and be in our midst. And a number of you I know caught up with Toby and Bronwyn and were blessed by their presence. God said, go, and they went. I wonder when was the last time you went on holiday without any agenda and say, God, here I am. I'm not going to plan my holiday. I'm just going to be available to you. That's a bit of a, a challenge, isn't it? I know when I go on holiday, I'm going to do this this week and this this day. But they heard God's voice, and they responded, and they came down. No doubt they learnt this type of faith from Bronwyn's dad. At the age of 28, Tone Acostas, that's Bronwyn's dad, was living out his passion, serving God, busily involved in leadership, had a profound evangelism ministry in Melbourne, and was seeing many, many people come to faith. Many, many people had started a little church. They had a very young family. Bron was four at the time. Her youngest sister was three weeks old, and Tony believed that God was saying, you need to go to Russia. I can imagine the conversation as he came home and said to his wife with a three-week-old baby, I think God is telling me to go to Russia and to speak to the Russian leaders. Well, that's what he did. He left his three-week-old baby and the family behind, he and another, and traveled to Russia, and they spoke, no doubt, 
in response to God's command, they went and spoke to leaders in Russia and spent seven months away. And this has shaped their church and no doubt shaped the way uh, Bronwyn and Toby are living their lives. He began his journey, Tony says, as a servant and he returned as a lover. Drawn into an intimate love relationship with God, he found the freedom that comes from believing God without ever needing an outcome. The freedom of believing God without ever needing an outcome. What a great description of the love of God. Would you describe yourself as a lover of God? I don't use that language very often, but would you describe yourself as a lover of God? It's dangerous territory, isn't it? Fearful territory, perhaps, because we have to give up control. But guess what? That control that you so definitely and fearfully cling on to is the very source of your woundedness. God says, let go and obey me. That's what Jesus says in John 15. He defines love by your obedience to my commands. So stir up the fire in you, the fire of power, the fire of love, and thirdly, the fire of self-discipline. Power to be refined, the love to obey radically, and then self-discipline. Now, this challenges all of us, but in different ways. For the spontaneous amongst you, the challenge is to be disciplined to allow the rhythms of your day, to allow the rhythms of your week, the rhythms of your year to bring you back to the God of love. For the spontaneous in you, this call to be self-disciplined is a challenge. Be self-disciplined, Paul said to Timothy. But for others of us who love structure and love order, we say yes, Yes, we need to get more discipline into the life. Yes, we're usually talking about somebody else at that point. You need to be more disciplined. They need to be more disciplined. But Paul is speaking to Timothy here. He's saying, you need to be more disciplined. And the challenge for you who like order and structure is to realize that the self-discipline that Paul instructs Timothy to stir up and rekindle is not borne by your effort or your control. It's a gift born of the Holy Spirit, Paul says. You're stirring up the gift of the Holy Spirit. The self-discipline is a gift. And as Paul would say in Galatians 5, it's actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul is instructing Timothy and is instructing us this morning to rekindle. The power of God, the love of God, and the self-discipline that comes from cooperating with God, all beginning and ending in God's. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, Paul goes on to say, of me in his prison. Rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us. He has called us to a holy life. This is Paul's witness, isn't it? Articulated most famously in Romans 1.16 where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew and then to the Gentile. What about you? What about you? Are you courageous in sharing, confident in sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? When somebody comes unexpected, 
alongside you in an unexpected place and says, you know, I believe you're a Christian. I've heard you're a Christian. What is it about this Christian life that makes it so important that I should have it in my life? Are you ready to give an account? Are you ready to give an account for the hope that you have within you? Or are you ashamed of the gospel? Do you find yourself going quiet in those places? Not sure how you're going to respond. Paul says to Timothy and he says to us this morning, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. He goes on to say, he has saved us, he's called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it's now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and is brought to life and immortality to light through the gospel. And it is this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That's why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know who I am, I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard, Paul says, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. In recent months, two giants of the world stage have been radically transformed by this good gospel that Paul is bearing witness to here. I'm speaking about Kanye West and Sia Khaleesi. Sia Khaleesi, of course, is the captain of the South African rugby team. And uh, they're the ones that wore the medals around their neck, unlike some of the others. But Sia grew up in poverty. He understood and understands what hardship really means. And now he embodies and unifies a nation like no other, perhaps since Nelson Mandela is unifying South Africa. But only a few months ago, this man walked in deep shame and deep guilt. Sin and pride had ensnared the man. He was guilty and was publicly exposed and humbled but he humbled himself before Christ. In his words, he said the following, God has been preparing me for such a time as this. While I grew up going to church with my grandmother and went off and on the past few years, it wasn't until a few months ago that I truly gave my life to Christ while struggling with a lot of things personally, temptations, sins, and lifestyle choices. I realized I wasn't living according to what I was calling myself a follower of Christ. I was getting by, but I hadn't decided to fully commit myself to Jesus Christ and start living according to his way. That is, until something I was struggling with in my personal life was exposed to the public. Up until that point, everything I was fighting against was hidden. But when my sin was exposed, I knew I had either to change my life or lose everything. I decided to lose my life and find it in Christ. Not ashamed of the gospel. Deeply ashamed of his sin and being exposed publicly in his sin, he made the commitment to give his life to Christ only a few months ago fully. Kanye West, 
arguably one of the bigger names in rap music today. And now he is telling the whole world how his life has changed by the power of the gospel. He's gone from a blaspheming rapper to a preacher who is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last Friday in Baton Rouge, as he is wanting to do, he's gathering uh, informal church services together. And uh, last week, 5,000 people gathered, and of that gathering, it's estimated 1,000 young rappers or fans of rappers gave their life to Christ because this man is not ashamed of the gospel. This man, his recent album is now called Jesus is King. He's gone from a blasphemer to a witness of the Lord Jesus. Such is the power of the gospel. This is the gospel that Paul is saying to Timothy, you have now got to communicate and boldly declare. Grace doesn't remove the suffering. Oft times the suffering is intensified, but grace assures us a safe passage through the suffering. We walk a holy life, as Paul articulates it to Timothy. We walk a holy life saying no to worldly passions and yes to Jesus Christ. This grace is the gospel that has been entrusted, is the language that Paul is using. It's now been entrusted to you. It's not something you have to make up. It's not something you have to devise. In fact, Paul would say you must guard against doing that. This, Timothy, has been entrusted to you. You receive it, and then you pass it on to somebody else. Your job, as Timothy's job, is to guard that good deposit. And when people start saying to you, other than what the Scriptures are teaching, you need to say, no, this is what has been entrusted to me. This is the gospel that I see revealed in Scripture. Have a look, have a listen. And when people say to you, these words are a bit too hard, let's not quite hear these tough words of judgment or whatever they might be, you say, along with Paul, no, this has been entrusted to me. These are the very words of Jesus. These are the very words of life. Paul would say to Timothy, he would say to you, this is what you have been entrusted. Now share it with whoever comes along your path. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the gift, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So church, I want to ask you the question this morning, what gift needs to be stirred in you? What gift has been laying dormant in you what is it that God is saying you've been sitting on this gift for too long what is it that needs to be stirred in you as God pours his spirit afresh as he kindles that flame again in your life power to refine the love to obey radically and the self-discipline to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit. What gift needs to be kindled in your heart this morning? On Tuesday night, a number of us heard from a Salvation Army pastor called Danielle Strickland. Danielle was a cocaine addict. She was going off the rails completely. And then a, 
an older Salvation Army officer came alongside her and shared the gospel that she had been entrusted to her. Danielle was radically saved from her addictions. She was radically saved, and now she is a profound witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But she said something that resonated with me on Tuesday night. She said, what the Salvation Army officer did to me and what she kept doing when she came to faith, she saw the sacred in me and she called out the sacred in me. That's what Paul was doing to Timothy. He sees the sacred in his beloved son. He might be timid, he might be young, but Paul sees the sacred and he's calling it out. You've received the good gift of the Spirit. I'm calling that out, that power of God, that love of God, that self-discipline of God. I'm calling that out, Timothy. And he would say that to you this morning. God would say that. I'm calling that out. I'm calling the sacred out in you this morning. That good gift that you have received, don't allow it to be dormant. Don't hide it. Rekindle it. Cooperate with what the Spirit is doing. Cooperate with what the Spirit is doing and then what? You would know the power of God. You'll know the love of God and you'll know the self-discipline that comes from cooperating with God. Let's bow our heads and our hearts in prayer. Uh, Father, we want to we say thank you this morning for this this amazing good gift that you've entrusted to us, the good gift of the gospel. And we want to say with Paul that we're not ashamed of the gospel. We acknowledge at times we're a bit like Timothy. We can be a bit timid, but we want to say this morning we're not ashamed of the gospel. We want to be those bold witnesses you call us to be. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning by the work of your spirit that you have poured into our hearts, Lord, would you by your grace rekindle that flame, rekindle the fire, that our heart might burn again, that we might burn again with that first love that we first knew, that we might be bold again in our witness for you, that we might be disciplined again in our devotion and our love and our interceding for you. God, would you rekindle that good gift that you've imparted to us. So by your grace, we ask that you would allow this word, take this word to settle in our hearts and bring fruit for your kingdom this week. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.